Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. This is a special episode. It's episode number 400. And so I brought on one of my favorite people in the whole world, Angela Perkins. Welcome. Hi, Brandon. Happy 400. Well, thank you. I remember the day that I think I brought this idea of doing a podcast back in 2012 to a few people. I think you were probably one of them. And I was like, what's a podcast, right? <laughs> and here we are, 400 later. Incredible. Do you have any regrets that I've spent this much time no. on podcasting? <laughs> no. It is, it's, I love that I have something to do every drive. Every time I'm in a commute situation, I, I just pull up the podcast and hit an episode I haven't listened to yet. It's great to hear. So how I'm going to spend this episode with you is I'm going to just talk about some of the my favorite episodes from the last few years, sure. some of the most highly downloaded ones at that, and just where are we at today? So I wanted to start with an episode you and I did. This was back in 2019, right before the pandemic happened. And we did a topic on HR trends to watch for. And this is actually one of the most highly downloaded ones we've had over the last few years. And we talked about a few things in particular, remote work, employee experience, and technology and data. Those are a, That's a lot to unpack. Sure. Those are some predictions we made. All of those came true in one way or another. So let's talk, talk about the remote work. We had no idea a pandemic was going to happen. I, I, it's funny to me to think about talking about re remote work pre-pandemic, right? Because mm -hmm. we were catapulted into that conversation in a way we never could have guessed in 2019. So that's look at how forward thinking we were to have those well, three bullet points covered. Based on like survey data and other things we would get all the time, we knew that people wanted more flexibility. Yeah. So we talked about it from that perspective. And then the pandemic happened where many organizations thrust into remote work, Yeah. as you mentioned. And it's like, now people like it. And employers, even though they tried to bring people back in 2021, I think, or maybe it was right before 2021, like thinking, oh, let's do hybrid. Yeah. People didn't want it. Yeah. Where are we at now? Boy. <laughs> so there's a lot to say about that. I'll tell you what I hear. Exhaustion around the topic to some degree, especially yeah. for those industries that remote work is just not on the table. So there is the hospitality industry manufacturing to some degree where there is a um, an exhaustion of hearing about flexibility at work and hybrid workplace and remote work. If it's all over the place and all employees and employers are reading about it, but their reality is they need team members in presence at the company in order to mm -hmm. fulfill their business needs, that's hard. It's hard for them to keep hearing about that. Uh, we've seen a bit of a sort of a boomerang situation with employees saying, I really want 100% remote. And then there was a bit, those, those workforces that could deploy that successfully and say, hey, if you get your job done at home, awesome. This jo job can be 100% remote. We've seen some of those things swing back. I think introducing the hybrid conversation is a little bit for employers and for employees. It's for employers to say, hey, I want to make sure to keep an eye on my culture and teamwork and eyeball to eyeball and really see people. For employees, it's engagement. It's, boy, I know I experience it working from home all day, every day, back-to-back -back screen calls. It's exhausting in a different way. So we've seen a bit of that. And I think we all feel that there's probably a balance. And I think, what are we, three years post-ish, post-pandemic, I think we're settling in. Those of us that are yeah. in a true kind of hybrid, I think employers are figuring out what the right sort of sauce is for their company. Yeah. 
that's the thing about that topic that we did, which is like perfect for where we're at today is we talked about remote work, employee experience and technology. And all those three things are connected because if you think about, okay, what's the experience I have on a regular basis as an employee, it's while I'm interacting with technology from a remote work standpoint and how I interact with the people that I work with and even the tools that I use all are connected to the employee experience overall. So my happiness level. And what do you think about that? Just what you said, I think the interconnectedness can't be ignored. I think much like remote work, we were flung into it during the pandemic in terms of tech. I know here at Zenium, we had launched Microsoft Teams some six months or so before we went into a remote environment. Thank goodness, right? There were some employers that hadn't yet jumped Mm -hmm. into some of the techs that ended up supporting them through a long extended period at home. The interplay of employee experience is interesting. We hear a lot of difference between folks that were stable in their role and had been with the company for a period of time. So onboarding was long behind them. They knew where to find things, right? They knew where stuff was saved. They knew processes compared to the new employee coming into it. So training your team in a remote environment or in a post-pandemic world took on new form. And that really did impact the employee experience. I know here at Zenium, internally, there was times where I'd go to our all-company meeting, and that's hosted once a month here at Zenium, and and I'd be like, ooh, who's that, right? And we're only 80 employees, so if we're experiencing that, it takes a different sort of effort to engage and get to know your people, and so that has been focused for our team from an HR delivery standpoint. How do you navigate the new world of onboarding and training and engaging employees that are new to the company. We've recently launched, relaunched a mentorship program here at Zenium, as you know. These are the kinds of efforts that we're seeing. Okay, let's take a tried and true process off the shelf, dust it off, and make it work for us in today's climate because we do need to get more inventive around how we're engaging employees. Technology piece I want to touch on real quick, and then I want to move on to the next episode. Technology, there's an abundance of tools that we're using, which I think impacts the employee experience. It's okay, I'm going to do my work, and I've got this like giant tech stack that I'm using, whether it's Teams and email, and you've got Slack for some people, and then a knowledge base. you got all these things, right? And then even as an employee, you're interacting with your HR things like I need to go download my pay stub. I got to clock in, clock out. So all of these things are so fragmented. And isn't there something to be said about integration? Like all of these things actually talking to each other. So that way there's some level of cohesiveness. So the experience is better. Yeah. I think again, these, we were so smart back in 2019. We knew these were pressures in 2019. I think with the pandemic, we were just pushed to go faster, but as it relates to tech, and data, we've seen it in the marketplace just around our products and services, how much more of a conversation is on the table. It's a higher priority than it was before, because I think employers recognize the inefficiencies in their business when you don't have the proper tools. What we see too is just how you deploy those tools and what kind of pro- like policy Policy is a bad word, but policy you put around and like, how do you use these? And what's the best practice around these? So otherwise it gets super noisy. You and I have talked about that as being coworkers. Like you've got the Monday board, you've got the chat, you've got the email, you've got, it's like, there's so much information coming at all of us. So yeah, what can you use an HRIS platform for versus what you use the chat tools for? And let's not even talk about AI, 
and all of that oh. kind of coming so, so fast. We're going to have to do a whole different topic on that because we're <laughs> not going right. to unpack that in this conversation. But to your point, when we said HR trends to watch for in 2019, while well, we didn't know what we meant by that because we were going to be pushed by this global pandemic situation, it's still a trend to watch and it's, but yeah. it's moved faster, I think, than it ever would have if we wouldn't have had kind of the pressure yeah. point of the pandemic. Let's move on. So in, I'm trying to remember the year, 2020, I think, maybe 2019, I did a podcast with Cameron Harold on meeting with purpose. So I wrote a book about why meetings suck. Me, I despise meetings that are run poorly. I Did think you most wear your of socks, us... Brandon? Should we tell no. your listeners about your socks? What is the socks that you get, gave me? There? I'm pretty sure it says this meeting sucks. You, no, I think it says something more vulgar than that. I'm putting some, yeah. Well, we can swear <laughs> on this. It's fine. So I think most of us, especially when we're in the pandemic, we're in video calls all day. And most people, because it's so easy to just turn one on, turn one off, and then hop to the next one, it's like you're back to back. And if meetings are run inconsistently, so like the facilitator isn't running it the same way as another facilitator, and then you have just differences in the way those are run, but also if they're not effective, you're not getting stuff done and you feel like there's just no purpose to it and you feel bogged down by it. What's your just perspective on on meetings in general? What, do you have a philosophy on it? I think it's yes. And again, not to beat a dead horse, but when we do go into these now diverse kind of scenarios where we're not in the office all together all the time, some employers are running hybrid businesses. Some are back in the office, but their customers yeah. are distributed out. I think you just have to get more um, intentional. That's the big mm -hmm. word that I would use is most meetings aren't set with intention. You don't usually ask yourself, does this need to be an email? or a meeting and they just schedule a meeting. Or in mm -hmm. some cases it's the flip and they just send a very long, I'm notorious for the very long email, which maybe yeah. would have been a better 15 minute stand up just to kind of share an idea. I think there's still pointless meetings. I think there's still a mismanagement of time organizationally just by habit. We connect and share information. You, It's not this particular podcast, but you did a recent one uh, where there was the whole synchronous versus asynchronous yep. information sharing and why would you have a meeting versus you would just share information. I really liked that. I think that's the intention I'm talking about is really paying attention to what's the purpose of a meeting. Is it to share information? Is it to get feedback? And if it's one way, if it's one way delivery, those are the easiest yeah. ones. I think any employer or any business could shore up their meeting yeah. philosophy is just to say, does this right. require two way communication? If not, I is that point good? you just honed in on there, and I don't know if you were, it was intentional, but I of think that's it was, where it was a good point. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I think where most employers go wrong is that they're not intentional about it and they don't sure. set a philosophy for how to run meetings. So think about it like you come out of college or you come from another job, whatever it may be. Your experiences have informed the way you're going to run a meeting. If you're a facilitator or the way you show up in a meeting and your role in the meeting. It's rare that you, at least in my experience, that you would come in an organization or you work with a new group of some sort and it's, okay, here's our meeting philosophy. Here's the ground rules. Here's a workflow showing like why you'd have a meeting and why you wouldn't have a meeting. Nobody does that, at no. least in my experience. I haven't seen shouldn't it. Shouldn't businesses yeah. do that though? Like you onboard somebody new, it's, ah, here's how, here's our way in which we do meetings. Yeah. When you schedule a meeting, here's what goes in the body of the calendar invite. There needs to be an agenda. Otherwise, don't schedule a meeting. 
day of the meeting, here's what you do, here's how to yeah. run the meeting, here's how to schedule it, like all that stuff. Yeah. And we don't do that. I've seen it just throughout our client, interacting with our clients. I've seen a little bit of that. More often, I see something that you've tried to introduce even here at Zenium a little bit, which is the no meeting Friday or being rec- just recognizing that we need to be mindful of the time that we're all spending in meetings. There's been times where we've done a, some quick math around a table to say, how expensive is this meeting? So those, yeah. those are the things that bring the business to think about, oh, m- maybe we do need to rethink our philosophy around meetings and be more intentional. What I would say about having a meeting philosophy is, this is goes with anything, is if you don't coordinate that with like actual practice, then it sort of is all for naught. So if you're going to set a philosophy and spend time designing that, then to walk the talk is probably the other step of that in order for it to be effective for the company. I've seen it work, but just like you see policy, but then no one follows the policy, then it's like all for, all for what? But yeah. we all spend hours and hours in meetings. doesn't matter what the business is. When we schedule meetings with our clients, we're part of <laughs> the meeting frenzy. So I think it's definitely going to be here for a while. And so being intentional would be helpful. So this kind of leads into this next podcast that I did years ago. It's with David Heinemeyer Hansen. He's a co-founder of Basecamp. They're a project management system and they've done a lot of other tech. Very smart guy. This is a great book, Why It's So Crazy at Work. And because I, I can see it, it's like there's this busyness around the culture, the work working culture. It's like the hustle culture. It's we use the busyness term as a bragging, right? It's like, I'm so busy. Like, how's your weekend? So busy. How's your week going? So busy as if that's good. Whereas we don't get, do we get enough, do we get enough space to critically think? So what's your thought about that whole concept of the busyness versus like work-life balance and other things like that? Yeah. I've seen this done pretty well at a couple of companies that I know. I think it's a philosophy. It goes back to the meeting philosophy. If you reward and encourage tactical work or contribution at the tactical level, then that's what you're going to get is the busy sort of culture because it's all about, did I get 15 things done or right? So you got to play around with what you're rewarding in your workplace there, I won't name names, but there, there's a company here in Portland who is a large manufacturing company who literally has their managers have thinking time. They have to put it on their calendar. So it is ingrained and they don't really need it on their calendar, but that's how they make sure their managers are holding themselves accountable to say, I want you to look at my business from at least 10 feet away. I can't have you down in there with all of the employees all the time, because then if no one's coming up with new ideas and innovations and things like that, then where are we in five years from now or even six months from now based on how fast things are moving? So I do, I think the business culture is there. I think you have to require at least some employees, whether it be leads or managers or senior leaders or whatever, encourage them and incent them to be thinking about the business. When it comes to work-life balance these days with holding these iPhones in our hands at all moments, I just, I think it is truly folks too about boundaries and encouraging employees to, to come up with boundaries because we get it a little bit sometimes at Zenium where it's like so busy, but no one's requiring our team to pick up that phone on a Saturday or a Sunday or even after five, right? We're very open with our clients about our work hours, but folks really get engaged in their work. And so it's just setting some boundaries to control the crazy a bit. 
Yeah, I think the word of this podcast may be intentional because yeah, I think sure. and it starts maybe at the top with leaders modeling that behavior of, okay, I'm shutting it off at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or whatever. And on the weekends, I'm not going to respond to Teams messages and yeah. emails yeah. because people are watching. They're always watching and modeling or they're following the behavior of their leaders. So I think yeah. that's one thing we can do. In that episode they also talked about this is a little shifting a little bit but out of office benefits versus like in office benefits so like in office benefits would be like ping pong tables and pizza parties sure. and stuff to yeah. keep you inside the office versus out of office benefits like massage and sabbatical and things like that that get you out of and disconnected from work what's your take on that yeah again i think that's forcing some of those boundaries right or it's encouraging some of those boundaries i think Benefits like that would underscore a philosophy that says, hey, we value work-life balance. Not to say that the ping pong table means we don't want you to ever leave. However, think about some of the bigger tech companies over the years have built like bunk rooms and had sleep pods and all kinds of things that sort of did spread the message like don't ever leave here. I think as the new generations come in and they put demands on the workplace that says, hey, this is what's important to me. We've evolved as employers in terms of just our benefit suite and things like out of office benefits and more time off. We hear it at Zenium. We hear it ad nauseum through the client base. So 400 companies that honestly, from a theme standpoint, if there's anything else, more PTO, more vacation time. That's what people care about is the ability to have their own personal time. I love talking about the whole person at work. Yeah. I, it's somewhat related because if you have a happy person, you have a happy employee and a great contributor. Mm -hmm. And sure, their happiness is not all on us as employers, but I think we can put some tools together and some philosophies at work that help mm -hmm. people find their balance point and help them find their boundaries so that there's not resentment that you never mm -hmm. intended. I see that happen all the time where the employer's not demanding it's really just lack of clarity around what is important to yeah. help, especially newer folks entering the workplace to figure out their place. Yeah. I'm going to, I was not planning to go this direction, but I've not talked about that, this on the podcast yet. And when you're talking about the whole person at work, we're all going through something at some stage and our something is a little different. Maybe like we could be dealing with a family issue versus a medical problem. Last year, I had chronic back pain and ended up getting back surgery. And nobody except for a handful of people, including you, knew what was going on. Yeah. I would show up to work. I would do my job. And I would, I like to think, do it well. Yeah. But I would open up to you and a few others who knew me really well. And you cared about the whole person. You cared about me outside of work. And... I think that's like a leadership skill that needs to be really taught is like, hey, we're real people with real problems. And if you want people to show up and do a good job, you have to understand like the whole person and have compassion and empathy for it. So I wanted to call that out. I don't know if you have any comments about that situation or just why your philosophy is that way to even care yeah. <laughs> the way you did. But that was a that was an important moment because I was going through something. It was a dark moment for me. I'm better now, thankfully, but you were there for me. You really were. The, I don't know that. I think I have the philosophy just as a person. So I've always cared. You just care about people. I think when you land in leadership, if it's something that you were striving toward, it's usually because people are a motivator for you and you want to work with more folks and have more influence. And I, I think 
caring about the whole person gives you just a wider ability to influence and be a positive, right? At the end of the day, I don't, I'm not going to be talked about as a person because of my contributions at Zenium. It's person right. by person. Yep. So I, that's, I can't point to a specific book or a specific something I learned in college or in my supervisory life of being led um, other than to say, I know how I want to be treated mm -hmm. and what it feels like to be cared about. I think honestly, it's a culture thing at Zenium. I was raised here and I've been treated that way myself. And so yeah. it's a little bit of osmosis, but I, you hear about it all the time. My manager doesn't even know my child's name. I can't imagine that not being connected enough to know at least the important people in the people that I work with. I need to know the important people in their lives, not know them, know who's okay. important to them. So this point that we just talked about actually ties in really nicely with this next episode I want to discuss, which is psychological safety. And I interviewed Amy Edmondson on this. She's out of Harvard and she has since been cited a million times. I feel like, I don't know if she's like the creator of the, the term psychological safety, but I know she was one of the first sure. and very smart. This is a great episode. So definitely go back and listen to that. But Psychological safety, it means a lot of different things. It means a safe environment where you're free to show up as a person the way we just described it. It's, sure. it's safety in a sense that like I can make mistakes without a fear of being punished sure. or I come up with an idea and I speak up about it amongst senior people and they, oh, they listen intently and maybe yeah. even take those ideas and run with them or decide to move on. What does psychological safety mean to you? Because it means a lot of different things, but I'm just curious from a leadership perspective, if it means something specific yeah. to you. It's mostly what you just described. It's the bringing, it's bringing my whole person to work and being the forgiveness factor of I'm going to say or do some things that maybe aren't aligned with what my boss or the company needs or something, because I'm going to be off track every once in a while. And psychological safety is recognizing that you can get back on track and use it as a learning instead of have it be detrimental to your future. I think vulnerability is a huge part of that, right? So psychological safety, I, I laugh, I'm sure this happens to you too. In my Instagram feed, I will literally have, cause I follow all kinds of business, different like business accounts and things. And there's one, I'm not gonna, I won't name it. There, there's one that's something motivator, business motivator or something like that. And I just like quotes. I like little things like that. Yeah, they're but then I have other ones, they'll be on top of each other and they'll be in conflict. So one will say, never let anyone know all of your thoughts, like basically be secretive, yeah. which is not how I play. And then the yeah. next one is vulnerability always wins. And so I, I find it mm. interesting that just even think about that with all of our employees. One's a lack they're of trust doing, and one's trusting. Yeah. And they're always getting different mixed messages. You're also bringing your backpack into work. So things that happen to you in your childhood and in your teen years, you're bringing the either mistrust or trust, blind trust, all of that based on who you were and how you grew up and what you've been experiencing. So I think it's just interesting that psychological safety to, to sometimes you have to break through that with people that are working with you because they've had different experiences and they haven't been safe, meaning mistakes were punished. They might've lost right. a job because of a mistake, which happens. So Make, I, I think it's Sometimes establishing it, making sure that people know what your expectations are. Zenium has an internal tool that's like best way to work with me kind of thing. So we do this with all new hires and it, it starts that conversation to say, how do you want me to come at you if I have some feedback? 
Do you want it in email so you can absorb it? Do you want me to come to you right in the moment? We just put this stuff on the table so that it's not like a guesswork for managers. And I think to have a vote in that for employees, that's a psychological safety because it's like you're signing up for that feedback. You yeah. told me that's how you want that. So now I'm going to follow your lead. So yep. that would be an example of that. There's a just one last note I want to make on this is that psychological safety, it, there's a lot of work that needs to be done around that. It's meaning it, you can't just turn it on overnight. It means doing surveys with your employees. It means doing one-on-ones on a regular basis to get to know your employees. It means having career conversations with your employees, being able to be vulnerable yourself as a leader and open up the dialogue. And that's how people connect at the end of the day. And I think that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. It's not something that is can be disingenuous either because people read through that. So sure. I think psychological safety at its core has to be authentic. Yeah. I want to say one last thing about vulnerability because yeah. I'm curious what your opinion is about this. I, it's really counterintuitive if you think about mm. it to express weakness or doubt or fear or any of that. Um, And that's, I think, why it's such an issue in the workplace, like especially at the top and for leaders. They're supposed to know everything. They're supposed to have all the answers. They're supposed to, and it is such a game changer if there can be some level of vulnerability sprinkled into your daily work. And I really do credit that with some of the best leaders that I've had and some of the best relationships that I have as a leader with that level of vulnerability. What would you say your experience has been with, particularly with vulnerability in leaders? And you don't have to necessarily talk about me, but you've experienced kind of varied. I have. Um, My default is to trust people. And I know that's not common amongst a lot of people because they always feel like whether it's the, you talk about the backpack, everybody's got a backpack and they have experiences from their past, whether it's the family, last uh, coworkers, whatever it may be, but maybe there's a reason they have no trust in people or they're putting up their wall before they like really open up to somebody. So I feel like on one side is caution around mm-hmm. being open and vulnerable because out of fear, like they're going to use that information against me. They're going to burn me in some way versus the other side of it is I'm going to show you me. This is the real me, the authentic yeah. me. And I'm trusting that I'm that we're just going to connect better so that way we can trust each other and then do work faster. Like business gets done faster when there's trust in play. Yeah. But then when there's fear in place, which just flies in the face of the psychological safety, that's where I think shit slows down. Yeah. It's because you don't have true authentic relationships built on trust. Yeah. So yeah. I lead with trust. Will it burn me? I don't know. I hope not. I mean, yeah, no. You, I feel like at this point, if you don't have that learning yet, it's probably that you're getting much more positive out of that leading with trust versus yep. the fear-based. Yeah. I want to touch on one last topic. I had a few more I wanted to, but I think we're getting that time here. And you, you might like this one and I don't know where you're going to go with it, but I did a podcast with John Johnson. He now works at Mineral. And uh, this was an interesting one because we talked about being okay with being uncomfortable. So this is a, it's a top downloaded one. It's probably, I think, top five in the last three years. And this notion of being okay with being uncomfortable, like it, it even pains me a little bit to hear that because it's not natural to feel good about being uncomfortable. I talked with, I won't name the name, somebody on our team who like had mastered the role 
and then jump to a different role and it's foreign. It's completely different than anything that has been experienced before. And it's like, you have to build new skills and a new way of looking at doing things. And that's uncomfortable. Yeah. So unpack that for me. What's your thought? Boy. So I, it's it's actually a really fun memory for me. I have a, a mentor that 15 years ago said, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not working hard enough. And I have never stopped thinking about that because I, my story, I've worked at Zenium for 23 plus years. So I have to seek lack of comfort because I've been in the same company. So I'm comfortable in that sense. I know what to expect from our ownership and from senior leaders and all of that sort of thing. So to, to be uncomfortable in a job that you've been in for a long time, you have to work a little harder and it's easy to get comfortable. So I think it's that it's the opposite of being comfortable. It doesn't mean sucking at your job, right? Or being terrible at something new. It's really about the uh, opportunity to learn and you're not, you didn't step into any role being perfect at it. So I, I would just say that being okay with being uncomfortable is about growth. Yep. It truly is. I always love the graphic where it's like you get the circle and it's like the comfort zone. Yeah. And then it's like the the learning zone and growth zone. It's like the magic really happens outside of that comfort zone. Because if you stay there way too long, you're not growing. In fact, yeah. you're probably regressing because the world around you is changing so rapidly. Yes. So if you're not aware, you know, of different perspectives and different ways of doing things and new technologies, you can unpack a lot of different ways to learn to be uncomfortable, but the world's moving fast. Let's yeah. just put it that way. And if you're not growing, you're dying. Yep. Absolutely. Same yes. with a business. It's not yeah. just related to individuals, but as a business, actually we were talking to, I was talking to my, our consultant, Rob Fenty, which he does great work. And he was talking about Kodak and how they're actually the ones that develop digital camera and they yeah. just decided, no, nope, it's not core to our business. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. Look where we're at now. Like they're are they even a business anymore? They got wiped out. And this is a story that could be told over and over again. It's, as a business, you didn't get outside your comfort zone. You didn't yeah. adapt to the changing world. And now you're a dinosaur. Yeah. I think what what is intimidating to me on that topic is you can also go that swing the other way and get so distracted by whatever's new. So it has to be, yeah. you just have to be really mindful of what you're, what you're grabbing onto. And then also being, a, I think it's on one of your bullets of one of these podcasts, which is be okay with being bad at something. So yeah. it's fail fast, all the different ways of saying the same thing, which is if we pick the wrong road, just be aware to be iterate quickly so that you can get back on track. So if Kodak made the call, this is not core to our business, nine months in realize the world's flashing before them, no pun intended, that <laughs> Maybe they could have swept back into the fold and been a player in the digital space. I don't know. I think that's crazy in business where you're constantly making decisions and you have to be able to like, oh, that was the wrong call. I'm going to flip back and we're going to try this again and, and be willing to make those failures quickly. It does go back to what you said earlier about the busyness culture is if you don't set aside the time for critical thinking, deep work, uh, however you want to say reflection of mistakes, whatever it may be you're never going to take the time to even think about that moment of uncomfortable. Why were you uncomfortable and learn from it and then grow? Like you just won't, you just keep doing your, what you're doing fighting fires and hustle culture. This has been a lot of fun. We touched on a lot of different areas. I'll make sure to link to all the old podcasts, but Angela Perkins, I appreciate you so much. This is a lot of fun to just 
have an episode number 400 with you and celebrate and talk about some really fun topics. So thanks for coming on. It was awesome to be with you and congratulations on the 400th episode. Thanks. All right. Take care. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.